Well, we've asked one basic question in the series, what, what matters? What really matters? And of course, we're addressing it from God's perspective. What really matters to God? In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, that Jesus Christ explains God the Father. Jesus Christ explains. So if we look at the life of Christ, we can begin to see his very heart. We can see what matters to him. So last week, we looked at uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, and we said that Jesus' desire came out by his love, stating that he desires for no one to perish. So wherever people are, if they're far from him, Jesus Christ, his heart is out there saying, my father desires no one to perish. Well, this morning we want to move it in a new direction. We want to talk about the dedication of Jesus. We're going to see the zeal of Jesus, and that is when he says he will build his church. He is dedicated to reaching into every ethnic group around the world to build his church. And so his zeal, his dedication is out there for us to see. And as we think about this, we get to be a part of it here at Fox Valley Church. We get to be a part of what God is doing. And I got to say, as a pastor at Fox Valley, I am so proud to be a part of this church. I am so proud. It was a year ago, a year ago, March 22nd, where we went completely online. And there was turmoil all through our nation for the entire year. And I've just been so, so encouraged by people pulling together people serving together, working together, trying to honor each other as best as we can with all of the different things going on. I saw it online, I saw it in person, and so uh, we have a lot to celebrate at Fox Valley Church. And I got to say this morning, God wants to speak to us. Well, let me say it a little differently. God is speaking. God is speaking right now as we go into his word. You have ears to hear. Will you let God's word come alive in your heart? Father, we, we can't do these things on our own. We need you. We need your power. We need you to open our eyes. And so God, we invite you again, just as we began with our opening song, we're here to worship. We're here to hear. We're here to listen. We know that you are speaking. Bring this together for us, we ask, to your glory, God, and the good of our souls. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, if you would open with me to Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16, and I want to read a few verses. We're going to pick up in verse 13. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, Jesus asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. Well, this morning we want to dive deeper into this passage uh, to bring us into this a little bit. Jesus was uh, moving around uh, the northern part of Israel, and he actually uh, was traveling further north than he normally had been going with his disciples. And it says here he was in this region of uh, Philippi, Caesarea, or Caesarea Philippi, uh, which was way north of the Sea of Galilee. And he is in this place. It doesn't say he went to the city. The city itself is, is a Greek-oriented city. In other words, there were no Jewish people really living there. So it was outside of his normal community. But it doesn't say he went to the city. It says he was in a region outside. And there he was in this region wanting to ask some very driving and pointed questions, right? Right? He just lays it out, asking the disciples in verse 13, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And as we read this just a moment ago, uh, there were several different responses, right? Some people said John the Baptist. And of course, John the Baptist uh, was prophesied that he would be this forerunner, that he would come in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah. And so now is Jesus the second John? Is he the one maybe resurrected from the dead and the one that was the reincarnate, maybe some thought, of John the Baptist? Others in the community said maybe he's Elijah. And of course, there was this idea that was prevalent in the first century that Elijah would return, that somehow people didn't understand how this would be, but that Elijah would return. So is this Jesus of Nazareth, is he Elijah that was promised in the Old Testament? Then Matthew goes ahead and he writes, well, still others said Jeremiah. Well, Jeremiah is kind of a strange pick but part of the reason they thought maybe Jeremiah, I think, is that Jeremiah was preaching a little bit of doom against the nation of Judah. And so Jesus, as he was preaching against the religious leaders that were turning away from the true word of God and patting their own pockets and building their own names, Jesus may have looked like someone that was coming as a prophet of Jeremiah. So then he goes on and writes and some other prophets. And you could make a list of different people. And there was a number of ideas spinning. Jesus, he was very cryptic. His favorite self-designation was son of man. Now there's a reason I think he used that phrase son of man so often. That's because it didn't have a lot of content to it. And this allowed him 
to fill it as he wanted it to fill. But he now turns it. Get the picture. He's alone with his 12 disciples. He's now moving from who do they say I am to now who do you say I am. And we look at this and Peter, obviously sometimes we see him in Scripture a little impulsive. Sometimes he puts his own foot in his mouth. He's quick to speak. And what does he do? He stands up for the group. And he says, you, you Jesus, are the Christ. At least that's the Greek word for the Hebrew idea of the Messiah of the Old Testament. You are the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. And then he says, the Son of the living God. So Peter gets into the answer of the identity of Jesus Christ. Now we know that because look how Jesus responds. Jesus immediately responds, blessed are you, Simon. Blessed. For you did not, how does he say, this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So you see what he's saying is that God the Father opened the eyes of Peter to see who this Jesus really is. And that's what's happening all over the world, is God is opening the eyes of people that they can see who Jesus is truly really is and if that did not happen if god did not do it it would not happen our hearts are so hard against god and the things of god now let me just take a moment because we're talking about jesus identity if we think about jesus identity in the first century there were several things that were being pulled together from the old testament about the word christ or the word Messiah. And you've probably heard this before if you've been around churches a little bit, is that the Messiah predominantly had the picture of being a conquering king that would deliver Israel from all of her enemies. It was also seen that this Messiah, this Christ, would be a prophet, and this Messiah, this Christ, would also be a priest. So you hear it, prophet, priest, king. And all three of those get held together when you hear the word Christ. But the predominant one, for sure, is the idea of king. Now, if we were in the Christmas season and not the Easter season, many of us would be familiar with Isaiah chapter 9, right? Isaiah prophesied what this king would be like, what some characteristics uh, he would carry. And we see him on our Christmas cards. We see it uh, around the place in Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulder. His kingdom, right? He's going to be this king, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end, right? So this was a predominant picture that the Christ, the Messiah, would be a great king. It goes on in Isaiah, and it says this, he will reign 
on David's throne. That was the big thing that was promised, that David's throne would continue forever. But the big question was, how? How is God going to do this? Well, not only is the Messiah or the Christ a king, he's also a priest. So in Jeremiah chapter 33, we find this, verse 14, the days are coming, God promised, through the prophet Jeremiah, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. And he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Well, only a priest mediating between God and man can do this. And of course, that's what Jesus does, is he becomes our mediator. Someone who gets between us and God. Someone who recognizes that God's wrath is going to be poured out on all unrighteousness, all sin, and Jesus steps right in between us. He interposes himself so that we could be absolved from the wrath of God. The priest, Jesus Christ, does that. Well, of course then, he's also a prophet. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15, it says this, Moses said, God is going to raise up for you a prophet with my spirit in them, a spirit of Moses. Of course, Moses was a great prophet. And so Jesus, or this Messiah, would be the one who would fulfill these pictures of the Old Testament. So this morning, as we get into this a little deeper, the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus tells us he will build his church, right? Now, where do we see that? I want to go back to a couple verses we read, and I want to make sure that all of us are reading this closely. Part of what's happening is we have to learn to read our Bibles carefully. We need to think through some different words. Now, we're not wanting to go too far away on this, but look what this says here, verse 18 and I tell you that you are Peter. Now this is where Jesus is going to play on his name a little bit. The word Peter uh, is Petros. And he says, and you are Peter. And then he says, on this rock. The Greek word here is Petra. And so Jesus is pulling upon here to play off Jesus' name. And we'll go deeper in that in a moment. But look what Jesus says. I... And who's the I? I took, took a moment to talk about the identity of Jesus so that you can see when Jesus says I, he's talking about the Messiah. He's saying I, me, the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one who's going to be a conquering king, the one who's the great promise prophet out of Deuteronomy 18, and the one who is a priest who could get you forgiven of your sins. That's what he says, I will build. Now there is some zeal, there is some dedication. This is showing the heart of God. He is talking about something that's never existed. Think about this. Never in the history of the world was there going to be people from every ethnic group of the world gathered together like this jesus says i will build my church 
Then he says, the gates of hell, or Hades, the place of the dead, even as we think about that little phrase, he's talking about the power of Satan. He's talking about the power of Satan working against the things of God. Even Satan himself and all his work and all his dominion, he will not resist the kingdom that I, or the, the church that I'm building. And then he says this. He says to Peter, I'm going to give you, that's Peter, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Okay. If we look at this, he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So we see this, but now I want to draw your attention to two words that are really, really important that you don't miss. The first is this, the idea of church, and the second is the idea of kingdom. Sometimes we read these words and we just blur them together as if they're the same things. But Peter, Jesus is not talking about the same things. Jesus is talking about something a little different. Let's take the word kingdom. The thing that Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about the reign and the realm of God. That God, his realm is over this world and he reigns there supreme. There is no one greater. So he's talking about this, this realm or his ruling power over the entire universe. Nothing escapes it. And then he says to Peter, he says, I'm going to give you the keys. Now, keys are a picture of authority. And if we recognize what role Peter plays in the book of Acts as the church is starting to grow, we begin to see that this is a picture of authority of who is going to get in. Now, ultimately, God is the one who gets in, right? Decides who gets into the kingdom. But this idea of keys that Jesus is giving to Peter, think how significant this is because it isn't just to Peter. It's going to get carried on into churches all over the world. The keys are tied to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know, you know, I know that the only way into the kingdom is through Jesus Christ, his blood on the cross. It's that which we need to defend. And that is what has been entrusted to Peter. In fact, earlier in Matthew, we don't have time to go through the whole book of Matthew, Jesus is already linking the idea of the kingdom of heaven that we see here. He's already linking the gospel in Matthew chapter 4 with the kingdom, that these are together. And so what we are doing is we are the safeguards, the protectors of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, ultimately, God is the one who will protect it. Nobody will distort it ultimately, no matter how much people in this world try to do that. God will not be mocked. Now, think about what this passage is saying. He talks about this binding and loosing. This idea of binding and loosing is tied to the keys, the keys of the kingdom in which we, what we do down here matters to what happens in heaven. Heaven ultimately decides, but we have incredible privilege and opportunity. We see this in Matthew chapter 18, verse 18. Same concept is there. It's in the picture of church discipline. Now, it's interesting. We have binding and loosing. Now, church discipline operates a little bit like this, right? When people start drifting from the gospel, 
sometimes in their lifestyle, not just their beliefs, but in their lifestyle, they end up, if they're a member at Fox Valley Church, as an example, you would end up in church discipline. Now, the purpose of church discipline is to bring people back together. The purpose is reconciliation motivated out of love because we care for people and we don't want to see people drift. What Jesus says in Matthew 18 is what you bind in on earth will be bound in heaven and what you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What he's saying is what you decide as people get brought into church discipline there is a working together, a synergism with heaven. It's an amazing thought that God would entrust to us those kinds of decisions. But isn't that exactly what Jesus did with Peter? Remember Peter denied Jesus three times, but in the end of the book of John, the Gospel of John, isn't it Jesus who restores Peter three times? Jesus asked Peter, do, do you love me? Remember what Jesus or Peter says? He says, yes. You know that I do, right? Jesus asked him again, do you love me? And he asked him a third time, do you love me? And each time, but you know what Jesus does? He entrusts to Peter his most precious possession, his sheep, you and me. He entrusts to people the caring of an eternal soul. So all of this is tied into this picture of the kingdom but church when we get to that idea it's talking about people so when we see the word kingdom it's talking about the rule of god when we see the word church it's talking about the people of god and so we see again that jesus says i will build my church that becomes really really significant as we look at this passage because jesus is now talking about people he says to peter he says i will build my church he's going to gather people from all over the world from different ethnic groups now let me give you a picture of what's happened in the last two thousand years so when jesus made that statement the church, in a sense, was not even launched yet, right? Not until Pentecost. So in a sense, we could say how many people are in there? Zero, right? So from Pentecost to the first 500 years, the church grew from essentially no people to 43.4 million people. What explosive growth. From 500 to 1,000, it grew just another 10, point, uh, 10 million, to or 7 million, I'm sorry, 50.4 million. So the church continued to grow. By 1500 A.D., the church grew to 81 million. In the last 500 years, the church grew from 81 million to 2.1 billion people. The 20th century was a time of explosive growth around the world. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, this should excite you, this should energize you. Now, I'm 
taking this from the World Christian Encyclopedia, and so these numbers are, are not mine, but from the encyclopedia, but the explosive growth that has taken place in the 20th century and now that we're in the 21st century is just mind-boggling. But Jesus is fulfilling exactly what he said. Well, how do we do this? Right? How, how did Jesus say, I will build my church? How was that going to happen? And of course, at Fox Valley Church, that becomes a significant part of all that we do. And so not only does Jesus say he will build his church, Jesus uh, will... Jesus will build his new community. I'm sorry, here it is. So Jesus says he will build his new community. And the way he does that is the new community makes Christ followers. It's you and me that God wants to use. This is who God is entrusting to this incredible mission that's showing the heart of God, his desire that no one should uh, uh, suffer loss, right? Eternal loss and that his dedication to build his church. Well, how does Jesus do that? At Fox Valley Church, we talk about 3D living. I just want to take a moment here at the end of the message and talk real briefly about 3D living. This is you and I living on mission. If you care about the heart of God, and I know you do, because that's why you're here. That's why you're watching online. It's because you care about the heart of God, and God's heart is for people. He loves people. He loves people all over this world, and you and I need to reach out. Now, developing relationships is something really simple, isn't it? You know why it's simple? Partly because God's Spirit is inside us, and He's pouring out His love. When we talk about this, we're talking about being other-centered. Let me give you two words hospitality and friendship god's people should display a friendliness just a kindness to other people this is what made some of the problems of the past year so complicated is that christians were slowly allowing other things to dictate their hearts rather than allowing the love of God to flow through them and building friendships, building bridges to other people because you care. Now, you do not have to be an extrovert to do this. I'm not saying you've got to build bridges with everybody in the world. I'm saying with some people around you, one-on-one, -on -one, you can build a bridge. You can build a bridge with people if you're in a workplace, if you're in a neighborhood. Sometimes even in our families we can have estranged uh, relationships. And so what we should be doing is develop relationships. All of us can do this. We are made with the capacity to develop relationships. When it says that we're made in the image of God, it means in part that we are relational beings and so we can do this. The question is, is this on your heart? That's really the ultimate question. Are you so absorbed in your own life, your own world, your own things, that your eyes do not see a hurting world out there? God is pouring his love into our hearts. And it's not meant to stay there. It's meant to spill out to the people around us. And it can spill out in a lot of ways. A lot of ways. God is so creative. So I 
sometimes get reluctant to mention ways because every one of us is unique. Every one of us is different. Some of us can display love in one way and others in another way, and it just keeps going and going. But that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to develop relationships. I said the word hospitality. One way you can do that is bring people in the home. Christians should be hospitable. In fact, one of the ways that the Bible describes Christians is lovers of strangers. We're hospitable. Now, probably if you took a moment and thought about someone who is hospitable, do you know somebody like that, that they just exude this? Kathy and I had some friends, had some friends, they've since passed, but they were so hospitable. When you went into their home, you felt like you were the only person that mattered. When you came into their home, there was something about the things they did as they looked at your life and said, I want to hear about you, right? They, they put you at ease. Your guard went down and there was a sense of calm in your heart, right? We can be hospitable. Now, the reason we can do that is because God's in control and we're freed up. So the first thing we need to do is develop relationships. The second is that we need to discover their stories. Now, we know that people like to talk about themselves. We like to talk about ourselves, right? (laughs) But if we could be other-centered and say, tell me about yourself, and really listen. Do you know what that would communicate to the world? Do you know what that would communicate to your friends if you just said, you know, I, I, I want to know what's going on in your heart. If you feel comfortable sharing, I'm here. And we need to do these kinds of things. It may take time. This is not a rush thing. Nobody, nobody is a project in God's work. Nobody. God loves people and he's wanting to use you and me. So we discover their stories. It's very, very other-oriented. And then thirdly, we talk about discerning next steps. 3D living involves discerning next steps. Now why do we put it this way? Because this is a faith journey. God will use a number of ways for you to take next steps. Sometimes, and this is why we push Easter a little bit, sometimes it's inviting people to church. But sometimes it's inviting them to coffee. Sometimes it's inviting them into a Bible study. Sometimes it's inviting them into deeper conversation. I don't know, but I do know this. God promised, and he's not a liar, he promised that he would guide our lives and he promised to give us the words to say. Now, are we going to believe him? Because sometimes people say, well, Pastor Tom, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. God does. I don't. God does. I can give you some good ideas, but good ideas may lead you astray. God will never lead you astray. By taking a moment and saying, God, what what do you want me to do with this? Now, I could take the next 10 minutes talking more and more about this, but I think the best way to maybe wrap this up is I want to invite someone up here that actually does some 3D living. It's so natural to them, they don't even think of it as 3D living. But that's what they're doing. So would you welcome up here Melissa Kelly? Melissa, if you would join us, if we could welcome her. So Melissa 
uh, we talked a little bit, and uh, so let, let's bring everybody into some 3D living stuff, uh, developing relationships. Okay, um, I work in a school setting, so each semester um, I am placed in rooms with different people, and um, I try to be prayerful and for God to place me, you know, where he wants me, where he wants to use me, and give me opportunities. So I just want to start with that, because that's now, not me. Now, don't blow past that. If this is a new thing to you, all you have to do, can I just encourage you to pray something like this? And mean it. Just say, God, I'm available. <laughs> just say, God, use me. God, would you open my eyes to show me someone? Because that's mm -hmm. essentially what yeah. you did. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, intentionally, I would intentionally, you know, get to know people in the room that I was with, asking them questions. And whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, see what Melissa did. She just blows right into discovering their story. She wasn't about herself. She's just asking them some questions to get to know them. Go ahead. Yep, yep. Just following up after weekends and, you know, what they did and, and, um, in that way and then um, as um, you know through weeks and getting to know people then I can start to get into discovering their stories where they're at um, you know if they're um, for me it's important to know somebody if, if, have they been hurt by the church are they you know do they feel like they don't deserve God or you know like where they're at maybe spiritually to know um, to discern my next step, you know. So discovering that about this certain woman and discovering that she had been, um, she had been searching for a church and, and she, you know, was a little bit out from here. And, and so um, I was, you know, just giving her a little guidance with that. But she was just um, going through some hard suffering and um, she had something happen and just didn't understand like why God would allow that to happen. It's a big question I get from people in um, like unbelievers especially, but even believers. And um, so we were able to have conversations about suffering and just hearing, you know, from her and sharing some of my suffering and how I had drawn near to God and um, people came alongside me and, um, and okay, can we just pause here just for a moment? There's not one person in this room that has not suffered. We've all experienced pain and heartache and hardship. Now, can we just be brutally honest and say we don't have all the answers? Mm -hmm. It's just a humble posture. So when you're talking about suffering, it's not like you've got an answer. But nobody has an answer to all the issues of suffering and evil in this world. You just scour the world. Nobody has perfect answers. But what we do is we know there's a personal God that's more powerful than all the problems and evil in this world. And while we don't understand why He allows it, why it's going the way it is, we know that in the end, he's ultimately in charge. So we don't have to answer, but that was great. You got into that. Everyone identifies with these. Exactly. I mean, some of, most of the women, well, you know, moving to 
um, discerning my next steps. I had another woman that was going through a hard time interested in what we were talking about and kind of got in the conversation. And then, um, you know, I started discerning what's, what has got, you know, praying about it. I had my accountability partner praying for me. What, what should, you know, this look like? And so um, I felt God leading me to a book about suffering. And so um, prayed about that and brought, brought that to her and asked her to think about that, think about doing that. And this other woman was on board. And so they both became, you know, they both said yes. And um, we ended up with like six people. I opened my home, I asked six them to people. come. Yeah, in my home. Wow, yep. at your house. Yep. Now you're out yep. of the workplace and you yep. sense the Lord yep. leading. Yeah, I've done stuff in my house and it feels safe for people. I feel like it feels like a safe place and I'm just suffering, talking about suffering and giving them time to, it's hard, it's, it's, you know, like takes time and then people feel safe and it snowballed into, you know, um, that woman didn't stay on. We, we ended up doing the life of Christ next and we're on our fourth book of the Bible with women coming and going. At times I've had eight, at times I've had 10, at times, and these are all women I work with. Um, my staff grows, but wow. all the Praise Lord, God. all the Lord, all the Lord. <laughs> and, and I know Melissa. Melissa is not saying, hey, it's me. She's walking in the same kind of fear and concern as all of us, right? And just saying, okay, God, use me mm-hmm. and be available. So did you, did you follow that a little bit? The first thing was develop relationships. She's in her work environment, talking to people, asking questions. As it narrowed down, she started to take the next thing, and that was to discover their stories, and it got into suffering. Then, she could have made a list. I could invite her to church, I could invite her into my life group, I could invite her to coffee, but God laid on her heart. She said God led her, after prayer, to look at a book on suffering and God's view on it. Mm -hmm. That's just beautiful, Melissa. That's just beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing that story. You know, at Fox Valley Church, our mission is telling and showing the story of Jesus, and that's just what we want to do. We want to do it. We're trying to give everyone just a simple way to think about it. God will give you the words to say, and he will guide you. We want to be a part of this growing mechanism. You show by your desires that you don't want anyone to perish but all to come to repentance by your dedication that you would build your church and you're doing it you've demonstrated the faithfulness to that promise god we want to be a part of it now as your people leave god i ask your blessing on them encourage them this day remind them of the hope of jesus christ remind them of the goodness that jesus brings and god As they go today, help them enjoy the beautiful day that you've given us. We thank you for it. It comes from you, and we receive it with great gratitude. We ask this blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember, Jesus changes everything.